Welcome to the Clubhouse with Shane Bacon. I am your host, Shane Bacon, coming to you from Pinehurst, the hotel, the U.S. Amateur. It is U.S. Amateur Week, and we're excited. It's our last event of 2019, and it should be a good one. I mean, we had the Women's Am last week down in Starkville, Mississippi, and I'm not sure you could ask for a better competitive event to do, especially one to kind of finish up the season. It was... uh, Great names facing off in the match play. And then, of course, the finals in the championship. I mean, you get a, a 19-year-old player that had just started playing golf when she was 15 when she finished up with tennis with Gabriella Ruffles. And Birdie's the 35th and 36th holes to win. You know, I, I mean, when you're watching that and you're getting a chance to broadcast stuff like that, this is what you want. When you're doing match play, you never know which players you're going to get through into the 64, into the 32, and on down the list. And this is uh, this is what we got in the finals. So it was awesome. And I can only expect it'll be the same. Pinehurst is one of the greatest places in the country for golf. And I just want to give you a quick schedule for the week so you can have it. Wednesday, we go 4 to 7 p.m. Eastern on FS1. The same on Friday and Thursday, 4 to 7. Saturday, it moves 3 to 6. It also moves to Big Fox. And Sunday, 3.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox. And we'll keep that going until we continue on to our champions so make sure you set the dvrs i would add an extension if i were you add about 30 minutes we went long a lot because we wanted to follow those matches when they went to extra holes and i'm assuming we'll do the exact same stuff this week so add 30 minutes maybe add an hour we went deep a little bit at the women's amateur and i expect probably going to go deep if some of these matches continue on the golf course number two i mean my goodness it is in unreal shape it is very hard i'm kind of glad i didn't qualify for the u.s amateur because i'd be nervous of what i would go out there and fire but these kids are a lot better than us average good joes that think we can go out there and play so it'll be a fun week this clubhouse podcast with dan hicks as they all are is sponsored by titleist and the new t-series irons from the tour's best to the best in your foursome titleist t-series irons are designed to help discerning players at every level go lower than ever before and from the precision of T100 to the distance of T200, the forgiveness of T300, T-Series is for players who know the difference between wishing you could and knowing you can. Visit Titleist.com to learn more about the T-Series irons. If you haven't seen a picture of these things, they are so awesome to look at. I think that's one of the more important things, as, as crazy as it is, when you first get a set of clubs, is what they look like when you stand down and look at them. And all three of the series are great. Check those out, Titleist.com, the T-Series irons. They have the T-100, T-200, and T-300. And again, I mean, it is a, it is the next set in the Titleist lineage of irons. They always do a great job with them. And uh, one last thing, do me a favor. Go on Instagram and social media and follow this account, the Clubhouse, at the Clubhouse Pod on Instagram and Twitter as I consistently give away stuff. And if you want tees or koozies or stickers, all you really got to do is send a note to those accounts and ask. And I send them out when I'm home. And I ask you to follow my Instagram account at Shane Bacon as I've got some stuff to give away over the next few weeks. That's where I'm going to give it away. So if you want to be a part of that, go to at Shane Bacon, hit follow, and that'll be that. You'll have a chance to win some cool golf stuff that I've collected over the summer. That's it. That's all I got. Uh, we got into a lot of different stuff with Dan Hicks, you know, one of the best in the business at what he does, sitting next to Paul Azinger, a friend of ours at Fox, obviously, and helps us out with the open coverage. And uh, wanted to have Dan on for a long time, and I got that chance. Here we go. And we welcome into the clubhouse for the first time a man that, uh, you know, Dan, I didn't realize I had as many similarities with you uh, as I do. Dan Hicks, of course, the voice of golf for NBC 
has been doing a great job for so many years. I was reading your bio. We both went to the University of Arizona. I know you grew up in Tucson. My first internship was with KVOA. Uh, there was uh, there was some similarities there that I, I didn't really realize ran so deep. Yeah, the the Shane Bacon Dan Hicks coincidence, which should be uh, <laughs> researched even further, maybe. Now, Shane, uh, it's it's great to be on your show. Um, you know, obviously watched a lot of you guys on Fox and follow it very closely, and uh, you're just doing a great job. And it's always a pleasure to talk to a, to a fellow Wildcat. Not too many of us out there, um, you know, in the broadcast world. Other than our our producer, our famed producer Tommy Roy at NBC, who is a U of A alum as well, and grew up in Tucson, but uh, not a lot of us out there. So a pleasure to uh, connect again. Yeah, and, and today of all days, I'm online, kind of digging around, and there's a college basketball podcast that I listen to that today put up. They're calling it a rewatchable. And it's the 2005 Elite Eight game between Illinois and Arizona, which I still believe is the most depressed I've ever been following a sporting event. <laughs> I've got a lot of those depressing moments uh, with Arizona sports. <laughs> not not too many of them around the basketball hoops team, but uh, boy, um, I've been a part of the whole Arizona Tucson scene forever, seemingly, and still still watch it closely as I can. But you know, growing up in Arizona, growing up in Tucson, following the Wildcats, and going through the whole deal when I was at school there. I was a public address announcer for the baseball team. I probably saw 150, as they called them back in the day, six-pack games for for the Wildcats. So um, it's in my blood. It's in my DNA. And um, it's, it's it's fun. So I, I, was, I just wanted to, to kind of talk through your career. You mentioned it already. Not a lot of people got into broadcasting for University of Arizona. Everybody out of the state of Arizona, basically went to Arizona State and Walter Cronkite and the school there, they do such a great job. How did you get into it? What was your path into broadcasting, you know, through the University of Arizona? You mentioned some of the internships and some of the stuff you did there. Yeah, first of all, I'm very disappointed that we got the Arizona State in there already in this <laughs> podcast. But anyway, um, no, it, you know, it was uh, the, the best part about um, my Arizona education was the journalism. I was a journalism major, and the journalism department at U of A is exceptional. Always knew it was. Had some friends of my sisters uh, who went to Arizona who were in the journalism department. So that was on my radar. There just wasn't, there wasn't really a broadcast you know, division there or department there to kind of sink your teeth into. So I started off journalism, you know, learning the who, what, why, when, where, and the real fundamentals of writing, which I still use today. Believe it or not, some people think you get into this television business and you stop writing. You don't. I'm sure you've realized that. But um, looking back, I, I just did as much as I could in school as possible. I was on the, I was a sports writer for the Arizona Daily Wildcat. I covered all the sports there. And then, I, like I said, I was a public address announcer for the baseball team, and I just started working my way through there. My first job out of school was a job in radio. I did news. I had to get on the air some way, shape, form. I had to get live and get comfortable with that part of the broadcast business. So I did radio for two and a half years in my hometown of Tucson, Arizona. And then I got the um, the opportunity to go to KVOA TV where you um, – you had, you spent some time, and that was just a really good, solid number one NBC affiliate. Hey, listen, I've got uh, you know all these tapes. I've got 50 tapes stacked up in the corner of my of my office here, and you know, these are all from people that have had at least uh, two, three, four, five years experience in the business. And I was just a radio guy in Tucson, and I said, well, if you just let me get on the set and give me a little audition with my buddy there, who I knew at the time was John Hook, who I've become and remain good friends with through the years. Can you just let me get on there and do an audition? And he did. 
I said, if it sucks, you can go, tell me to go jump in a lake and I'll never bother you again. Um, so I did it. I got a call from the next day. And, you know, long story short, I got hired there and got my start in television. So, And then from there, I went to CNN Sports and met my wife. And from there, I went to NBC, which is crazy because we went there at the same time from CNN. And uh, 27 years later, here I am talking to you. So that's the thumbnail version. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I mean, the... It's interesting to hear you say the writing thing. I talk a lot about this. I mean, I wrote it for the years on a Daily Wildcat for four years, and writing was my pedigree. I wrote online. After that, I wrote for Yahoo Sports and CBS. And I really feel like the writing thing helps you with your broadcasting. I mean, I write my scene sets. I write the stuff that I say on air when I'm preparing to write these things. It's something my producer, Mark Loomis, has hammered home. I mean, make sure you write it so it feels like it's in your own words. And I feel like you probably do a lot of the same stuff. And uh, it does, it, it really, in a weird way, has helped me. And, and, I, and I, this sounds so broadcasty, but it's helped me kind of find my voice because it's a, it's a, helpful, it's a helpful thing to have as a small tool kind of in, in, the, in the pack of things we use. Not about it. Um, you use it even if you're not, you know, physically writing it down or, or hammering it down in your iPad or whatever while you're up in the broadcast booth. You're thinking writing in your head because the fundamentals that were pounded into me in the journalism department at Arizona were first of all, if we made one error, whether it was a spelling error of a spelling error of a name, we had to have a middle initial on names. That's how much they pounded it into your into your head. If you didn't have that, forget about what you wrote you know, how much reporting you did, you got an automatic E, which was a fail. And so that still is in my head when I, when I try to get things right. And again, we're not going to get everything right because there's just too much going on in the, in the show, as you know. But if you go in there with that thinking that that is your worst nightmare is to make an error or screw up somebody's name or make basic errors that you could really, you know, have a, you know, put a good watch out, then you're, then you're ahead of the game. And writing is all a part of that because it's what basically comes out of your mouth through your brain. And like I said, if you don't write it down, you're certainly thinking in the right manner of how, you know, what's brick by brick. Can't tell a guy who's going to win at 18 on Sunday, his whole life story on Friday or even Saturday for that moment. You kind of pick your, your points. And uh, an old executive producer at NBC Sports, Terry O'Neill, once told me, it's a brick, you build your house brick by brick. And that is the, that's what I try to do is to just let people know a little bit about him or her as we go along. And at the end, you've got this nice house built. Everybody has comfortable. So it is all a part of writing. It's all about, all about putting a story together. And I really feel Shane, I think that's somewhat of a lost art with some of the younger people today. I mean, it's. I, I think that you can easily get caught up into. Just, let's just get on the air. You know what's the quickest way, and you know sometimes we lose those those most valuable skills that I think really give a broadcaster longevity in this business. Well, I want to transition into your year. It's probably been uh, one of the. I would. I don't want to say strangest years, but it's probably been one that you'll you'll look back on and really remember. Of course, Johnny Miller departs in Phoenix, and you have Paul Azinger come in to the seat next to you. What's been the biggest difference with Zing joining uh, after you had to spend all those years, you know, alongside Johnny Miller? It's it's funny. They're they're very different, but at the same time, they're a lot the same. And I say that in the sense of, I think of everybody out there who we were looking at, and we had some really fine quality candidates that were right in house, you know, at Golf Channel uh, and at NBC that everybody knows about. That that was 
coming up and auditioning with me and through the course of you know some several shows that were really good and and and, and could have done the job as well but what distinguished zinger was and you know this well too is that he he doesn't really I don't want to say think too much, but he doesn't really care about what he says in the sense of, you know, is this is this right? Am I going to offend somebody? And Johnny was a lot like that. He spoke from the heart. He spoke truths. And sometimes those aren't the flattering of the people that we're covering, and they can get a little bit, um, they can sting a little bit, especially to the people that are <laughs> that's being directed at. But <laughs> but it's important. It's important. That's what that person gets paid to do. You know, it, you don't have to agree with it, but that is what he's getting paid for, and that is his job. You may not agree with it, and Zinger is from that same mold. He's going to give it to you exactly what he thinks, exactly how he feels. It's not going to be, you know, sheltered or insulated by, you know, things that he's worried about, repercussions from what he says, and that is one of the most difficult things for ex-athletes to come into our business and do, and some never get it. You know, never kind of get that part of it, but but Zinger has been great. Um, so I would say that's that's the that's been the easiest transition is working with somebody like that who's just free form and goes. But at the same time, he's very different. You know, Johnny had his way of preparing. Zinger's got his way of preparing. Um, but that's what makes this whole mix uh, interesting. But he's really fit in well with the guys, and I've, I told him right off the bat that uh, that it's just been a great fit. Well, and he's he's massively fun to be around. You know that is so, yeah. you know when yeah. when we we have him now a couple of events, and when he comes around, every, the mood goes up. I mean, Paul Azinger is one of yeah. those guys that can really get every, get the most out of everybody in terms of energy and entertainment. And I feel like that's a quality that's really hard to come by. And you know how important that is. If if you enjoy working with the people. Um, that you work with on and off the air, man, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come across, first of all, on the air, and it's just going to give the whole morale a totally different feel. And then, you know, maybe from time to time we've all worked with people that, you know, are, you know represent a little bit of negative energy, um, but there's just none of that with Zing. He's enthusiastic. He's passionate about, about golf. And I've had the great fortune of working with so many not only really good analysts, but you know, through various sports, whether it's Olympic swimming or whatever, that just love what they do. You can, you can turn on the television and it just comes through the set, like with Rowdy Gaines, for instance. I mean, he's just a phenomenal analyst, but his passion and his enthusiasm is what drives his, his whole commentary. So Zinger's got that in spades, and we all enjoy having him, and he's just, he's just positive energy, and that's always good. Yeah, the first time I was host I believe it was three U.S. amateurs ago and it was Zinger and Brad Faxon and myself and Zinger said something on the Wednesday you know Wednesday's around a 64 and it's this chaotic day and there's all this stuff going on and you got papers that's everywhere. the hardest day in golf to broadcast oh, I think by the way oh, it is it <laughs> is so all, you're not familiar with these guys right <laughs> and you're just kind of like bouncing around in 32 matches it's it's wild crazy fun but it's uh it's pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah, and, and, you know, you can't prepare because you don't know who's going to qualify. I mean, you can sit there and read about Cole Hammer all you want, but if he doesn't get through, you just wasted 30, 45 minutes. And so it's just kind of the <laughs> night of. Exactly you're, right. you're reading everything. And Zinger said something on Wednesday, and we went to commercial, and he looked at me, and he goes, Bacon, that's a Wednesday comment. I'd never make that on Sunday. And it was, you know, it's kind of a, and it was just, it was so great. Cause I, you know, I'm a little nervous and I, you know, it's kind of my first time doing this and I'm sitting next to these two great guys. And 
uh, it just again it was it was so Paul Azinger, you know, and it was uh, it was yeah. very light and it, it made me laugh and and he just has as I said he has a great ability and I'm so pumped that he got the job because I uh, I know I know you two are going to do such a great job and you have and uh, and exciting exciting stuff moving forward. I did want to touch a little bit on kind of the hot button topic right now in golf over the last well it's it's really I, I guess it's it's blown up the last week this has been the slow play issue Bryson came out and said his interesting I'll say comment in his rant last week about this and the PGA Tour came out and said they're gonna they're gonna look into this so in in the offseason and really kind of see if there's a there's a there's a path they're gonna go through when you're in the booth and you're broadcasting this slow play I feel like is the easiest to notice because if you're on a guy and he's taking two and a half minutes to hit a shot you're sitting there watching every single second of it. Is it going to have to be penalty strokes? I mean, what are they going to have to do to get these guys to speed up a little bit if they actually say this is an issue? Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Rory McIlroy hit it right on the head, and Brooks Koepka got the ball rolling as well. Um, I, I think you've got to you've got to give them shots. You got to give start giving penalty shots. This it, it's almost like it's not almost. They know they can get away with this. They can get a warning. They can get another warning, and they can get, be told you're on the clock. But they're never. But they know that you know. Wh- when's the last time a penalty was given out? I mean, it's been it's been a crazy amount of time, and a crazy amount of too slow players doing what they're doing. Why why do we even have the rules written the way they are if we're not going to enforce them? And I I'm really disappointed in the way that that this has been enforced or the lack thereof I, I and i think that the players are finally taking things into their own hands we saw kepka we saw rory mcelroy and i think what mcelroy said was was right on the money give them a warning and then you come back and if they're still and again it's not an easy issue to to nail down but i believe that penalize these guys and and everybody knows who the guys are that's no secret they've been called out and you ask the tour players, they, they know more than any, they know better than anybody who's, who's being slow out there. So it's not a secret who's playing slow. I know it gets a little tricky, and we can sit here and talk about it a long time about what's going to happen with, you know, how are they going to enforce it and who's slow in the group and all that stuff. Uh, but it's, it's, the time has come, and I think the players have taken it into their own hands to try to, try to enforce it. I, and I, I think what DeShambo did was great. He just, he just hit it head on. He's still a little bit in denial, uh, but I think that he, he, I think his press conference was was fantastic. He, he said, "Let's talk about this," and I want to talk about it with guys that are upset with me. And I think that's a good step, but we're not going to see anything happen, you know, uh, really significantly until they throw a penalty shot on these guys. Then they're going to wake up. Yeah, I mean, it's you. You could say it's ten thousand dollars if you're slow, and the guys wouldn't even realize that they got the money taken out of their account. There's so much money in golf right now. The one thing they don't want to lose are shots. I mean, that is the easiest way to do it. I had Brandel Chambly on. We were talking about Sergio Garcia a couple of weeks ago, and he said, you know, with his kind of antics on the golf course, he said, "Find him a hundred thousand dollars. Then maybe he'll notice that." And I feel like this is kind of the same. This is this is at least in the same vein is if you're going to do something to them to get their attention, say, hey, you just got docked a shot. There you go. Yeah, I think that's the ultimate. That's the only way to go about it. And I'm just about ready to give my two dogs a penalty shot. If you can hear them <laughs> in the background uh, barking, Ozzy and Buttons are now on the clock. They've been warned. 
and two and two more barks, and I'm gonna uh, you know take their food away for the night. That's okay. That, and I think they just I think they just heard me and they stopped. That's really that's so there very, we go. That's very impressive. See, this is the booming broadcast voice. Even dogs know they gotta lock it up and get it together. Uh, we have a couple Compelling of podcast stuff here. Yes, <laughs> we have a couple of events left in the playoffs. Uh, I am interested, and I want to hear your thoughts. I don't know if you have talked about this yet with Tommy and the crew. When you guys get to the tour championship, what's the approach going to be in the way you present the scoring? Are you going to have two numbers? Is it just going to be what they're at, considering they've changed uh, the changed the way the players will start the tournament, and it's something we've never seen before? What is y'all's approach going to be at the tour championship when we get to Atlanta? Yeah, that's a very good question, Shane. It's something that's, that we've discussed a lot because there's a lot going on. First of all, it's brand new. And I think just in a nutshell, the obviously the emphasis from the start and to the finish will be who wins the golf tournament. Right. Now, you've got, you've got a 72-hole stroke thing going on as well that is not even going to be recognized as a PGA Tour win, which is a little bit strange. Not a little bit. It's very strange for people just taking this whole for, new format in for the first time to think to themselves, okay, Let's say Tiger Woods slips into the Tour Championship in the you know 28th position. He starts off at even par. He's 10 back, but uh, you know he wins. He wins 70, the 72 hole stroke play event, but is well back of the pack in the you know the whole the new the new system of starting at 10 under at the top and working its way down. I do think we're going to mention that. I think you have to, and I think you've got to stay cognizant of the fact that who of these incredible top 30 guys for the season who've assembled at Eastlake, who's got the best 72-hole stroke score, I think you have to recognize that. But with that being said, it's not what it's all about. You have to keep realizing that this is the season-long race. There's a reason the guy started at 10-under and 7-under and on down. So that will be the big emphasis. I don't think we're going to do anything graphically to illustrate the 72-hole stroke play event that's kind of going on in the background because I think that's that kind of goes against what you're trying to do. And that, in the end here, was simplify the people at home watching the tournament so they could simply watch it, know instantaneously who's going to win by just keeping your, your, your eyes on the leaderboard and the numbers, the adjusted numbers at that, that are, that are going to be going by. So that, I think that, I think we'll recognize who's winning seven, you know, over four days. I think you have to, and I think we'll be mentioning that from time to time, but uh, really the overall deal is tour championship winner, FedEx cup winner, and that's going to be one guy, one deal. And, that's another thing they wanted to emphasize was just one, cha- you know, not keeping track of two trophies and all that. So, it, but you know what? You get into these things, and it, it all, you know, it'll sound however as we're talking about now. I don't think we're fully going to realize how it's all going to come down and how, how it's going to feel until we get to East Lake and get to the weekend and just, you know, say to ourselves, are there going to be any tweaks from here? So the only way to do that is, I think, to let's go. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's. The, the the FedEx Cup has you know it's been adjusted a few times and they've they've gone in and tweaked things here and there. I personally think the idea of one person winning makes sense, and if this is the way you have to go about it, I think it puts more emphasis on the other events. I think it more puts more emphasis on the season as a whole, and you know that is the point. The point is to make guys care about events that maybe they didn't care about throughout the season, knowing that they can move up and they can improve and. I feel like the FedEx Cup at times um, gets flack from like the hardcore golf fan 
But what, I, like I think, is after two weeks, we don't really have any meaningful, quote unquote, meaningful golf event until the President's Cup. So it's it's enjoy this, enjoy the new format, and see how it goes. But there's no reason to sit there and trash it before we see it because. It could be really cool to watch guys, as you said, battle in two different ways for one prize. And you know what? When we get to the you know the back nine on Sunday at the Tour Championship, and you've got you know three big stars going at it, and and, and the audience clearly knows that okay, Rory McIlroy's one back, uh, John Rahm is two back, and Brooks Koepka leads, for instance. That's all they're going to be focusing on. And oh, by the way, you know another five million dollars thrown in, fifteen million dollars. It's going to have some major juice to it, and it's going to be very easy to see what's unfolding, rather than, you know, Steve Sands in the sands in the sandbox. No, no <laughs> offense to Steve, but um, that 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 kind of detracted from the tournament. We had oh, Steve, you know, explain what's happening, and people were getting used to that format. But I think that this is far more simpler, and this that's going to be that's what's going to be everybody's going to be focused on is like okay we we get it and we see it but you know what else is 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 a cool thing even going into the bmw championship which is the penultimate fedex cup event is you know there's going to be some guys finishing up to not only get into the top 30 but it's going to mean are they starting at you know eight under are they starting in a group at uh you know six under so there that's going to be a new twist to the BMW championship that's going to be interesting for us to get set for the final 30 in the tour championship. Where does last year's tour championship rank for you in terms of golf events you've got a chance to cover in your career? Because that scene on 18, I mean, it, it's going to go down as, as one of the coolest, you know, non-major scenes in, in the history of golf. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And, you know, it, it, it you know, be honest with you, it was surpassed, just a little bit by Tiger getting climbing the back up of the mountain at Augusta, which was just phenomenal. But I thought at the moment last year, the tour championship that who knows if we'll ever see Tiger win another major again. I know the hype started, you know, significantly after he did win the tour championship when it looked like he was going to be able to play, you know, enough golf and be healthy enough to really make more runs majors. But at that time, it was it was surreal. It, it had been talked about. It had been basically in people's imaginations that Tiger would ever get to that point, including his own. And I, just some of the things that were popping through my head as I looked back, at, you know, behind us on the tower with a swarm of people who made it even more amazing moment. You know, PGA Tour was not ready for that kind of, uh, you know, <laughs> surge of people that that went behind. Looked like an Open Championship. Um, but I remember looking back and seeing that going, this is crazy. I don't think I'm ever going to see, I've never seen something like this. And I don't think I'm ever will again, just the, the excitement over this guy winning again. And it's funny as the final putt dropped, I had it in my mind that I wanted to say it's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest comebacks in sports history. And it, it, as I looked at the at the tape afterwards, the, the rebroadcast, I actually said it's the greatest comeback in sports history. <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, that's a little much. And I, I'm sure people, I'm sure people thought that. You know, what about you know, Ben Hogan obviously gets talked about and all these other things. But then in the end, as I thought about it a little bit more, I I would argue with anybody. Get, you know, I I know the Ben Hogan story was in, um, incredible, but the multiple facets of which Tiger faced from public scrutiny 
to the microscope of the media that, that Ben Hogan could only imagine being swarmed around in his day. With Tiger in the mugshot that was put all over the world, everything that happened and the physical comeback that he had, I think, you know, I would argue, you know, give me a better one, you know, in the end. So it was, it was, it was one of those moments, Shane, that you're, you're, you're in the, you're in this, you know, right place, right time. You've got your crew around you and you're just hoping to stay out of the way and let the pictures, you know, do their thing, which is basically what we did. It was phenomenal moment that'll go right up there uh, with all the the great moments that I've been privileged to be a part of through the years. Yeah, it was, you know, when you look at 2019 and Tiger, we're going to remember the Masters win, and that will be, you know, whatever he does the rest of his career, the 2019 Masters will be something that will basically stamp home, as you mentioned, the comeback. But 2018, he played awesome golf for four months. I mean, he was in the hunt at yep. the Open. He was in the hunt at the PGA Championship. And then, of course, he wins the Tour Championship. Really, if you look at his season this year, outside of the Masters win, he hasn't he hasn't really been a factor at all. So when you think of the way he finished off the season, as you said, the win, and we all were going, great, he did it. He won something. We can, we can let him sail off. That's all we ever wanted. Uh, the Masters win, of course, trumps it. But at the time... It was it was just a phenomenal phenomenal thing to to see, and it was you know ten years after your call, and you know one of the more famous calls in in the history of golf. I wanted to ask you a little bit about it. And I know you have to talk about it a lot, I'm sure, but expect anything different. Did that just was that just roll off the tongue? Did you think about that before? I always wonder with broadcasters because I'm just <laughs> new to this. Do, is it you know is it something you you written down? Is it something you were thinking before you said it, or did it just come to you when the putt went in? Yeah, it uh, get asked about it all the time, and it, talk about being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> but that was a that was a that was an era in the Tiger era that um, that as I as he was lining up that putt at Torrey Pines, it got just so silent, and I remember just kind of looking out the window of the tower and just kind of soaking it in, and there was just like you know thousands of people obviously around the 18th at Torrey. And kind of looking over at Johnny, and we were just kind of laying out. And what kept creeping into my mind was, I think everybody here expects this guy to make it. I, I and I look over at Johnny; he's got a look on his face like this is going down. I had the same feeling because you know, had we ever seen Tiger miss a putt that mattered like this? And and so it kept coming into my mind subconsciously, like I, I you know, I expect him to make it, and everybody around this green expects him to make it. So, it, you know, it didn't have it in my mind. I just was going to kind of let it, you know, let the putt go. And as the putt started to go in, it just kind of burst out, you know, from, from within. Expect anything different? Just that, that, that ex- expectation word kind of took over. And so that kind of flowed out. And, you know, not to say that you don't, we as announcers, or at least, you know, personally, I, I can say that you do kind of think a little bit loosely in terms of, okay, what are we seeing here and what if so and so wins, or what if this putt drops? What's the feeling here? What is what's the what's the emotion here that you knew, you would formulate maybe a couple words in your mind to kind of maybe be ready for that moment? But I have really really um, stayed away from orchestrating anything in that moment at all, other than just organic feeling of what are we seeing. And nothing word for word, certainly, but I, I, I will say that I have, you know, words kind of creep into your mind and ideas 
Um, and the word that came up in 2008 at Torrey Pines was expectations and expect them, and it just kind of came out. So uh, that was pretty cool. And sometimes you don't want to you don't want to take away from moments. You try to enhance them. And I think our whole crew and the way they handled that moment was uh, was pretty much spot on. Yeah, you, you you said expectations, and when you think back, I was watching highlights of that U.S. Open a few weeks ago, and. You know, it was a bumpy putt, and it could have not gone in, and it did. You know, and you think about Jordan, and oh, yeah. he kind of shove off Russell and makes the shot. And like when he was hanging in the air, you're like, "This is not going to miss." You know, he's going to make this <laughs> jumper. It is going to go in. And you think about Phelps and reaching, and you know, it's it's just crazy that there are certain guys, there are certain and certain women, of course, in sports that just had the ability to in the biggest moments when all of us are like so nervous we can barely watch this they're capable of pulling it off and I find it uh you know sometimes you just think about that I think about that with the corn fairy tour last week and these guys getting their top 25 cards and coming down the stretch literally playing for their livelihood I mean we follow the PJ tour a lot but it's it's special when you get to watch sport happen and it and it changes lives you know yeah, you, you just you hit it on the head why we all get into sports, and it's to see these moments and to be a part of these moments that's the best reality show going, period. And whether it's Simone Biles, who just won her, I believe, her sixth national title in gymnastics, I mean, what she did and what she does with the pressure on is just unfathomable. And the athletes that are able to take their games, Michael Phelps, Tiger Gretzky, on and on down the list, Steph Curry, you know, LeBron, I mean, it's fascinating to see who's able to perform and who's not. And even in like a corn fairy example like you gave, how cool is it to be a part of a moment, whether it's golf or whatever sport it is, to see somebody succeed and, climb, and, and, and get to that moment that they've been dreaming about since they were a little kid and try to inject a little bit of personality against it's watching from our perspective, our job, and that's what, you know, that's what I think our biggest job is to do is to make people care about the people they're watching and then to have them come through and to have the moment just kind of organically happen. And, you know, like Corey Connors this year at the Valero Texas open, here's a guy, you know, who, is he going to win again ever? You know, I don't know. I think he will. He's, he's really good. He's good. He won, but you know, he got into the tournament, you know, he qualified to get into the tournament and here's his wife drinking out of a, you know, a, a plastic cup, <laughs> drinking at wine, watching, and we just, you know, we saw her, and we, and she became such a part of the story. But that's the part of sports which is so cool. It doesn't have to be a Tiger Woods. It can be people on down the list that just make it so compelling and such a cool thing to be a part of. All right, Dan, I'm going to get you out on this. I have heard from people that you are unbelievable at impersonations, and I, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do some broadcasting ones. I wanted to ask, what's your best golf impersonation? Who can you do the best in golf? Well, I took a lame shot of, you know, I think Joe Buck celebrated his 50th birthday recently, I think. He did. Is, is that, that's, yeah. So Paul Ezinger and I were in the Open Championship, and Zinger was, they asked Zing to do a little piece of tape for Joe's uh, birthday celebration to play the video at, and uh, he said, would you mind doing something with me? He, just kinda, he goes, I'm just kind of nervous, I don't know what exactly, I'm going to go, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll do something. You know, I did a lame Joe Buck impersonation where, you know, he welcomes everybody in the broadcast booth and, you know, he's Paul, I'm Joe. So we did a, we did a lame thing on that. So I did that. That's my, much my best and worst golf impersonation at the time of anybody in the booth. Um, I, you know, I, I have messed around a little bit with Vern Lundquist, but it's not a part of my 
regular repertoire. But I do like the way that Vern through the years seems to get an octave lower every year you watch the Masters. And there was a time where Jeeve Milka Singh was, was playing the Masters, and he would get to 16, and all Vern would say is, Jeeve Milka Singh. And it was like just golden. It was just perfect. Jeeve Milka Singh for birdie. It was like... He's the best. He's just unbelievable. Talk oh. about capture of the moment. Oh, man. He, he laid out on 16 when Tiger made birdie, and he walked to 17T, and Vern just said nothing. He just said nothing. Oh, yeah. and he, the camera followed him to the T at 17, and I was watching that thing. I was like, what an unbelievable – and as you said, he, he, can, he can hit it with three words and gets out of the way, and every time he does it, I'm like – this is poetry. He's so good at that. You know, we, you know? we go around and we go around and around a little bit. Okay, who's who, what's the best golf call ever in my book? It's in your life. Have you seen anything like that? I I don't think that that could have been captured any better in the moment with what he said, when he said it, the timing of it was perfect. It was like it. Just, I, I get goosebumps thinking about it. You know, forget about the yes, sir, and all. I mean, <laughs> that that moment in the what in what he said was as good as it gets, and that's just it encompasses what Vern Lundquist is all about. Talk about feeling the moment and letting it happen. In your life, have you seen it? No, it just came right out of him. It was it was fantastic. <laughs> I gotta add, you got it. You gotta do Joe. I want to hear the Joe, and then I'll let you oh, go. Oh no, man, because you know Joe is probably going to listen to this. But I, I don't really do Joe. That's the thing. I just I came out and I said, "Welcome to the broadcast booth, everyone." He's Paul. I'm Joe. Um, you know, I did this like totally late. You can have Joe show you the the video of that, okay. and you can have fun with that among yourselves. But maybe you know, maybe later on when I hear Joe a little bit more, I can I can kind of go public with it. But uh, I don't know. I, I got a great I got a great amount of respect uh, for Joe. But I tell you what, I had a chance to play golf with him earlier this year. Talk about a fun guy to hang out with. And he Talk hits every fairway. Guy. It's unbelievable. He never oh, misses a fairway. Yeah. He was nursing a thumb injury when I played with him earlier this year, so I didn't see his full game, but I talked to Zinger and some of the guys. Are, yeah, Joe's good. And, and I think, didn't he, I think he was in the finals of. Yeah, he was, he was in this club championship. Yeah, yeah, because I, th- yeah, I, th- I, th- I think so. Anyway, I mean, you know, we're getting way too deep into Joe's game right now, but. Um, he, he, he was a pleasure to hang out with. I, I, so we, we were watching the Masters, and they were down in Butler Cabin, and we, we, had the, we, had the, we had the incredible privilege to go down there and play around at Augusta National together. And we stayed in Butler Cabin, and we went down and hung out at Butler Cabin. We were on Nance and all these years, they, 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 you know, presenting the green jacket. So we were smoking cigars down there, right? So <laughs> I get a text from Joe because we're watching the Masters. He goes, hey. They're they're down in the basement where we smoke cigars. Did they ask us to take a go down there? You know, just funny stuff like that. Pretty funny. He's anyway. he's great. Well, Dan, I appreciate it. Good luck the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch. I know. I know you get. I know you've been on a crazy run. You're Northern Ireland, South Korea, and now you're in Chicago. Is that right? Or you're headed to Chicago? Yeah, not not too many directs from uh, Portrush to Seoul, <laughs> South Korea. But we made we made that happen. And um, yeah, and then now it's uh, the BMW in Chicago. And then we do uh, obviously East Lake. We'll wrap it up, and then we kind of slow things down before revving it up a little bit uh, toward the end of the year. But Shane, one more thing, man. I think I think you're one of the uh, real rising talents in this business. I'm not just saying that. I speak for a lot of people, and uh, 
been watching a lot and looking a lot, and it's uh, you guys are you, you're you're a part of a great crew, and you guys have made such great strides is because of uh, you in there and Joe and the rest of the guys. So, uh, and I'm a big fan of Mark Loomis. He's a member of uh, my same club, and um, you, you guys have a great group of people together. Well, I appreciate that. It's very nice of you to say, Dan Hicks. Make sure you watch this week and next. Uh, a lot of golf on. They got a five days of the amateur. We've got. We've got playoffs winding down, uh, a lot of options, and, uh, and the DVRs will be hot and heavy this week. I appreciate it. Have a great next couple weeks. It looks like I'm a wreck. It's in the hole. It's in the hole. A big thanks to Dan for taking some time out of his week. Obviously, a couple of FedEx Cup playoff events left, including the Tour Championship. So a busy man with the, uh, with the finale of the 2019 PGA Tour season. We'll be busy this week. A reminder, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, FS1, and then Saturday and Sunday, the U.S. Amateur on Fox. Big Fox. Brad Faxon and I are going to be in suits for those two days. And I brought a tie that hopefully doesn't get as much criticism as the one I had at the uh, U.S. Senior Open. I was uh, kind of got uh, dragged through the mud there on, uh, on social media about one of my ties, so I left that one at home, and I brought a couple of, of less loud ties for this event a big thanks to titleist and a reminder about the t-series irons the t100 t200 t300 there is an iron there for you go to titleist.com to learn more about the t-series irons and it's uh like i said they're beautiful they're unbelievable the technology in those irons are exactly what you'd want and you're going to enjoy them and next week hopefully the hope is the u.s amateur champion joins us here on the clubhouse so so check for that have a great weekend there's gonna be a lot of golf on tv so hunker down on the couch and prepare as we finish up our 2019 season here at pinehurst